Welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 31, Redesigning Travel with Melissa Dalrymple of McKinsey. So it's still 22nd of September. This is my second interview of the day that I've just finished after talking to Uber's Matt Wilson this morning and another great conversation with Melissa. You know, I was going to call it Reinventing Travel, which is the title of her recent paper with our other McKinsey colleagues. Uh, make it better, not just safer, the opportunity to reinvent travel, which was the way that I actually got in touch with Melissa. But I just think that the way that they're looking at um, improving the travel experience is such an example of using a design thinking approach and with Melissa's own background in design thinking that I thought I'd prefer to call it uh, redesigning travel. So before we get to Melissa's conversation, um, just a couple of things just to catch up. You know, it was quite interesting actually talking to Melissa um, today with more or less the last uh, piece of work that we did in the lab was with McKinsey just before the the summer holidays and looking at habit change with a couple of webinars uh, with uh, McKinsey Global. And as we get into the kind of new school year, let's say, uh, and getting back into things, uh, again, very grateful for still working and and still doing some very interesting assignments. I think one of the things that's coming to, to mind is that hybrid learning really is here to stay. So whether we'll always be working from home or how much of a time we'll spend in the office compared to at home in the future, I think learning and working, it will not just be uh, face-to-face or predominantly face-to-face, but it will be that real mix. Um, You know, I was even looking forward to going to Madrid next week to teach on the Global Online MBA, i.e. Business School, which is the course that they are ranked globally number one for. And I know it's an online MBA, but it's a face-to-face kickoff normally for the first week. Uh, but that has been cancelled. So all of those sessions, unfortunately, because I was really looking forward to travelling again. You know, I miss travelling, as I said in the last episode. Uh, all those sessions will be done online. And a lot of our assignments with the lab over the next couple of months are uh, a function of that. So we're starting some new partnerships with other organisations in this space uh, Tick Track will kick off next week. It's actually a company that I started collaborating with in 2013 uh, with the founder Martin and also uh, one of his colleagues at the time was Jeremy Johnson, who went on to found Beautiful Destinations, which of course became very successful. But looking forward to um, you know collaborating with Tick Track in the next couple of weeks, and that will be looking at a campaign on workplace well-being. TickTrack is a fantastic platform that companies uh, use as a software as a service to look at improving health and well-being within their organisation. Oratorical is another uh, partnership that we're just starting uh, who will distribute all of our e-learning uh, material and sustained executive performance and chief well-being officer, all of the videos that we have, all the back catalogue. It will be distributed through Oratorical uh, and they will also be a base for some of the live talks that I'll be giving over this autumn uh, and also started collaborating with Power MBA, which is a very disruptive company in the space of um, you know uh, online MBAs, and they're being very successful in the Spanish language MBA, which has been going for over a year, and the global English language version has just kicked off in the last couple of weeks. So that's just a quick catch up on some of the things that are going on, and yeah, looking forward to keeping busy over the autumn and winter. No travel really in the pipeline, but I hope that changes, you know, at the same time as maybe restrictions being lifted because 
do you then want to you know, self-isolate or do you want to put your family at risk unnecessarily just by going to another place? So maybe we all just need to kind of hang tight uh, and wait a little bit longer and, and, and look for a kind of brighter future when travel experience will be better. And that is the conversation that I had with Melissa. So some really interesting things and, and even harking back to the kind of golden years, let's say, of travel um, you know, these kind of visions of sailing around the world or when airline travel just kicked off. It was very glamorous and romantic and exciting. Uh, but certainly post 9-11, it has been more stressful and inconvenient. And as Melissa says, full of friction at every stage of the journey. So a lot of our conversation just, you know, looks at how you can be more agile uh, as a company within the travel sector to listen to your customers, to be flexible, to offer personalised uh, solutions and, and, and follow those fast iterations. So take that very much, that, that design thinking approach to, to solving the problem. And she offers some, you know, some, some examples of, of changes that are coming in, but then might stick around post-pandemic because they are just better. You know, if we think about all of the the hassle that we would have with our hand luggage uh, on board an aeroplane. That just was unpleasant for many of us for, for such a long time. Um, and even thinking of hotels and just having that more intimate uh, relationship uh, as a type of boutique hotel rather than that impersonal uh, way of maybe a large chain hotel might be. But, it, but at the same respect, also offering these kind of contactless experiences as well. So a lot of these things that are just reducing those potential uh, opportunities for catching the virus, but it just makes that user experience f more frictionless and it adds value uh, longer term. So there's a lot of things that we dug into in a very condensed and uh, a, a nice conversation over 25 minutes. Um, I hope you enjoy this one. This is like buses, right? You wait two or three months for another episode on the podcast and we've got two here in a couple of days and the third one also to follow very quickly uh, hopefully before the 30th of September as long as my producer Rob doesn't kill me for giving, giving him this all at the same time so thanks again for listening and I'll see you again keep well bye for now ciao hello Melissa thanks for joining me on the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast are you working from home today by any chance I sure am. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to be home as well as nice to be on the podcast. <laughs> but look, you know, I'm curious. I'm, do you miss travel? You know, the life of a McKinsey partner is usually up in the air, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? It's, um, it's quite nice to be home a bit more than I've ever had the chance to do. I have a pandemic puppy that joined us in March, and it's been a treat to get to raise a puppy versus just see it on the weekends. Um, but, you know, we do miss it. I think travel is a fundamental part of, of what we do. We, we very much enjoy being on site, working directly with clients, um, but also there's some inspiration that comes from it. Just the ability to travel, to see different people, uh, different places, you know, even an airport. I kind of miss an airport at the moment and that, uh, that <laughs> I would have been hard pressed to do that prior to March in the US. <laughs> so I do. Yeah. How about you? No, absolutely. You know, I've been thinking recently, and this was the kind of motivation for doing travel uh, this quarter on the podcast about, you know, I was just thinking about how much travel contributes to my own well-being, mm -hmm. you know, professionally and, 
and in private parts of my life. And, and I do miss it. You know, I don't think I had a heavy kind of up in the air schedule, you know, like a lot of um, you and your colleagues perhaps, but I do miss some of these things, even the maybe the crappy things on reflection. But it's funny when you <laughs> mentioned the having a pandemic puppy, we, we did the same. So ours arrived in March nice. and um, Spain had such a terrible lockdown that it was one of the very few things that allowed you to leave um, home, right? And even my son, five-year-old, he, he couldn't leave the front door for six weeks. But I was out four or five times a week with his puppy, so it really did make a big difference. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. What a great story. But I still we, had the same, we had a similar situation where, um, you know, we had, we had not as strict a lockdown, so we were able to go out and get groceries and all of that. But um, our puppy only ever knew our dog because we weren't allowed to go to dog parks and things like that. Yeah. So one of the most interesting things post lockdown was having to socialize the puppy who never had any idea so many dogs in the world existed. So uh, that's been interesting. Well, as you, you know, the whole aspect of socialization is, is fascinating, right? You know, working from home has got its benefits, but a lot of people are missing that part of it. And even as universities go back um, and start the new academic year, a lot of what we learn at university, I know for me personally, it wasn't so much the degree knowledge, it was that socialization and learning from other mm. people and just becoming an adult, right? And, and, and that's thing, those are the things that I think we're kind of missing right now. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the moments that aren't happening, especially those key moments, right? The, the notion of the, the, the year you graduate from university or, you know, your first year, right? Those moments that you can't repeat again. Um, although I was talking to a client yesterday and her child is uh, just starting as a freshman in college in the U.S. And, and she said, you know, I'm grateful he's a freshman. He doesn't know anything else. And so, you know, there's, there's new ways of, of learning and being. And it'll be interesting to see what sticks versus um, what really is a unique moment in time. Fingers crossed. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great segue, actually, into talking about travel more specifically because it's about, you know, for some people, they didn't know another way, right? And maybe we got stuck into a certain experience or accepting a certain experience when we traveled. And if we think about travel in the past, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, in terms of sailing around the world, that, that real sh- glamour of, of long mm. boat trips with big heavy luggage, perhaps. And then in, when air travel started becoming more um, kind of for the masses, there was a real romance and excitement associated with that but more recently and especially post 9-11 stress and inconvenience has been the the kind of key words there right um you know is it your view that that this new crisis that travel is experiencing um can get us back to some of that former glory what do you think yeah it's it's a it's a great question and a tough one i mean there's no doubt that travel has been enormously impacted by what's going on and that um what the recovery will look like is not clear yet i mean everybody wants to know the implications of business travel not just personal travel given how impactful that can be on the economics um but you know we we took a stab at trying to think through this a little bit ourselves we wrote an article called um not just safer but better about you know the opportunity for travel to rethink itself and and part of that stemmed from the fact that um as you think about like you said the complexity of the travel journey and how it feels for travelers a lot of it has got a ton of friction in it, right? There's this notion of 
all of the checkpoints that we have these days, both domestically and internationally. You know, in the U.S., because of the shoe bomber, we still take our shoes off, you know, nearly 20 years later. And so adding more friction as a response to this crisis has the potential to really negatively impact people's willingness to fly, especially short haul flights where you could drive or take a bus or an alternative that has less of a, of a friction at the start. And so our take on it was, you know, what are the things people really need to do and how do they ensure ultimately that they still create an experience that feels at least somewhat harkens to the excitement of what travel used to be. And, and, and we thought taking a bit of a maybe countercultural, optimistic tone might be one way to think about uh, coming out of this on the other side. And if it's useful, I'm happy to talk through that framework, but also don't want to talk your ear off on this if, if, you, if I should pause now. No, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm really fascinated on kind of recent insight. I mean, it's such a fluid picture, right? But some of the recent insights mm-hmm. about people's changing views on travel and, 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 and responding to, I don't know, maybe expecting that there's going to be more friction. So they just kind of cop out and just travel in their cars and stay local for even, you know, vacation this summer and things. Just a very quick thing on excitement. You know, I, I was even thinking when you talk about friction, um, and this was um, an article that I read in The Economist a couple of years ago, and it talked about how many business travelers will really fight for that aisle seat so that mm-hmm. they can you know, go to the bathroom when necessary and then escape as quickly as possible. And, uh, and then I was on a, tra- a flight myself, and I, did, I always did the same. And then I, there was a little kid in front of me, and it was evidently his first flight, and he was so excited. And then I just thought back to the first mm-hmm time that I was flying and I thought it's such an amazing experience and then I ended up writing a short article on that um, called Take the Window Seat, right? And that's mm-hmm. the whole mindset about getting back to that initial excitement and just forgetting about the kind of functionality side of things. But of course we need to do that. Um, yeah, I love that point. If I could jump in there, I am, I am a heavy window seat user when I can. It, it is my preference on all of my travel profiles. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a designer by practice. I, I design customer experiences, and so I'm highly visual. And um, I probably have thousands <laughs> of cloud pictures on my phone from the various things that I've gotten to see. And, you know, whenever I'm flying across the country, at least in the U.S., you know, just unbelievable sort of the diversity of what you can look down and see. And I think it's just a really great reminder of, you know, what's special about travel and about what you get to see when you when you leave your home. Yeah. And certainly the reverse of that is is what we're feeling now, which is, you know, I think you're right that there's probably a lot more local travel than there's been. And certainly, you know, the rise of the, the RV, as we say in the States, and people sort of driving, you know, these great American road trip style trips here in the US. Um, but I also think there is a, a deep passion for seeing new things. And I think that's built into our psychology. It's built into sort of the uh, anticipation you can have when you when you travel. And I think that piece is is why I like the window seat. (laughs) And I think it's the thing I'm missing the most. I'm very lucky to be sheltering at home. I'm safe. I have a a job. I have a family. I have all those things. Very safe and sound and lucky. But, you know, that, that thrill of anticipation or even of just variety, right? Something in front of my eyes that feels different from what I saw, you know, for the last eight hours <laughs> is really appealing. And so I, I hope that more of us can be a bit more like that kid to really uh, yeah. appreciate what we have when we have a chance to return to travel more formally. Absolutely. 
Any other insights coming out of your recent um, work, Melissa, looking at users and how they're perceiving travel now and moving into the future? Sure. I might talk maybe take two pieces of that. Uh, one is some of the things that we're seeing from consumers and their, their interest in travel or anxiety around it. And then the other is this framework that I mentioned before that we've really created to help you know, our, our travel and hospitality clients who are obviously facing a massive downturn but need to think about how to come out of it in a, in a practical way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's tons of coverage of what consumers are wanting to do right now. So I won't get into the details that, that are probably better left in terms of, of, of recent studies. But, you know, what we got very interested in early on was what pieces of the travel journey were causing anxiety for consumers who thought about coming back to travel. So instead of just saying, are you willing to travel? We said, what are the pieces that you're really worried most about? And we asked them to tell us about uh, the entirety of the customer experience, but also the core parts of whatever type of experience it was. So everything from getting to an airport all the way to getting to a hotel, but also within the flight and within a hotel stay, for example. We did similar work for things like retail, grocery, et cetera. And for, for airlines, what was interesting was the anxiety was really great around being in sustained experiences around other people that they couldn't control, right? So boarding and being on the flight itself were the biggest causes of anxiety. Probably not surprising, but it does make you think a little bit about what are the messages that you as an airplane or as an airline would put out to consumers to ensure that they felt more confident in those situations. Yeah. So, you know, that's obviously an opportunity to say, you know, for boarding, here's what we're doing, right? Maybe in the time being, what we're doing is we're, we're ensuring folks check bags so that the boarding process can be as simple and, uh, you know, less anxiety than ever before. Um, and on the flight, as you've heard from, from many airlines, you know, removing that middle seat. I was on a Skift Forum panel this morning uh, with the chief commercial officer of Southwest, and he said, um, you know, we're still removing the middle seat, but we're doing it because of the comfort of our passengers and their psychological safety perceptions, mm -hmm. not because it's actually useful for the virus. Yeah. And so that balance is a very interesting equation to try to figure out, you know, are you doing things because it's safe or are you doing things because it's, you know, comfort? Um, and I guess that sort of leads directly to this point of, of this framework we've been thinking about. We were, we were really intrigued by the fact that as the pandemic started to roll out, we saw a lot of what we were calling a clean-offs, like a bake-off, right? This is how we're cleaning, and this is how we're cleaning with this particular brand of, <laughs> of sanitizer and things like that. And um, I don't mean to laugh. It's absolutely the foundation of anything that's going to get us back to travel, right? Making sure that you've taken... Um, not just what's required to be safe, but also sort of what's required in, in the type of industry that you focus on. But then the second piece, if you sort of think of these as stair steps, is, you know, that foundation is great, but it only solves for safety. You have to solve for people's comfort, as I just said. So psychologically, how are you helping people feel like they should be ready to travel? Safety isn't enough. They need to be psychologically safe, right, to say, I'm really, I'm really willing to, to actually purchase a ticket. And then what we're seeing from the truly successful companies that are thinking about how do we come out the other side are people who are saying, you know, we had some problems in our experience from the get-go <laughs> uh, pre-COVID. So let's think about investing in the things our consumers care most about to get them back to travel, but that also benefit our business in the long term. So there's sort of some win-wins in terms of 
you know, really creating solutions that will be better. Um, And a couple of examples of those, you know, might be the notion of of keeping bags out of the cabin for now, right? It'd be a lot easier if people didn't have to haul them through uh, the terminal and they recognize that very safely they could collect their bags later rather than be stuck in a boarding group. Um, and the other one I might just bring up is, is hotel check-ins and things like that. So we're certainly seeing the acceleration of, of you know, quote-unquote contactless experiences. You know, more and more things being done via an app, more and more things, you know, sort of processes being redesigned to not require signatures. You could do it online, things like that. And yeah. so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what I think was starting to be a trend. Certainly many hotel groups were already doing those types of keys through apps and things like that for their more valued customers. I think we'll see a lot more of that uh, trajectory continue to accelerate um, both during the pandemic, but also stick afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that was some of the discussions, initial discussions I had with Hilton who are coming up also in this uh, this Mm -hmm. quarter. And as you say, some ideas are implemented for the crisis, but they will stick around because they are better. They're not just for the crisis, but they add value in more general terms. And as you say, the pandemic accelerates things that were already in the pipeline. You know, I even saw some analysis from you guys that said that e-commerce in the US had been catapulted 10 years into the future within a three-month period, you know. Um, So in your vision of travel post-COVID, does this involve things that are mostly already there in the pipeline to some degree or something radically different or, or maybe a bit of both? I don't know. Yeah, I suspect it's a bit of both. So um, I think travel was probably a bit slower to digital transformation than many other industries, certainly. Um, but that has accelerated. I was just listening again, part of the Skift forum. I was listening to um, uh, the leader of a hotel group talk about the fact that while many things have been cut off at their organization, digital transformation has has not been. So they they have not stalled their investment and they are moving forward quickly. So I think there's an acceleration there, certainly not just in e-commerce, but also in, in broader digital applications, whether it's collecting consumer data, uh, you know, analytics on the back end, um, or even thinking about behaviors. We are seeing agile behaviors, whether, you know, which, what's traditionally been known as something that emerged from software. Uh, we're seeing that behavior emerge from the IT groups of many travel companies and, and work across functions. So, for example, one of my clients is a hotel group, and they had agile within their software development teams, but now they have standups in the morning where everybody from ops to comms to, you know, um, digital design and product to food and beverage meet in the morning to hear, you know, quickly what's happening, who's working on what, what new initiatives are priority, what we're hearing from consumers, et cetera, in order to make really quick frictionless decisions. And I think that's very exciting to see because we do believe that that capability set of really thinking about cross-functional groups working together, iterating on ideas quickly, listening to customers and consumers, and testing products um, is the way forward for many, many industries. And it's exciting to see that stick because, um, you know, you, you just can't fake that, right? And both the chief customer officer of Hyatt and the chief customer officer of Southwest on my panel this morning said, we've never worked as quickly to understand changing consumer needs and to actually activate new solutions. Um, from zero to three weeks in, we've got stuff in market. And, and that's ex- that's extraordinary, I think. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a crash course in becoming design thinkers, right, for all these mm. companies. Um, 
and, exactly. and I, I was thinking about this after reading your paper because a lot of the concepts that you talk about, such as empowering users, you know, personalizing experiences, you know, taking an agile approach, building relationships, you know, these are hallmarks of, you know, leading organizations who have, are very innovative in the way that they work and the way that they treat their people. But I always had the impression that maybe the travel sector was a little bit more of a laggard in this respect, mm -hmm. right? And, and the crisis is maybe giving them the push that they all need. And, and I think you can identify some, you know, lead users in terms of the experience. You've got airports like uh, Changi Airport and Singapore sure. long been held as a great user experience. And a lot of these things are, you know, more frictionless experience through the airport, more contactless. And it may be that, you know, these lead users are going to be just much more common going into the future, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, we, Changi comes up so frequently, of course, as, as a favorite experience for many travelers. Um, the other one we highlighted in our uh, Better Not Just Safer article was the notion of the boutique hotel. Yeah. And, you know, obviously scaled businesses have a harder time, you know, creating that kind of authentic experience. But the lessons we believe are really relevant for all of the travel industry is really thinking about all the details. Um, many travel organizations have focused primarily on how do we convert this customer from thinking about traveling to traveling and purchasing. And, you know, much of the excitement around travel certainly is around dreaming and aspiring and all of those things. And therefore, the opportunity to really build relationships and think about the experience you offer doesn't just start with converting a booking. It starts earlier uh, when you actually start to think about, you know, what is the dreaming that you do as you think about your next vacation? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, helping people, helping organizations understand what matters to their customers, not just what matters to the business, is certainly a large part of kind of the balanced way that design thinking tends to approach problem solving. What, what's possible as opposed to just what have we done in the past and, and how do we continue to accelerate growth? Organizations who are maybe keen to, to kind of look at this and, and to more than just roll with the punches, but really come out the other side and, and a, in a much better place. You know, how do you see that? And, and, and even your, your conversations this morning on the forum with these, these organizations, you know, how easy did they find that? Is it a hard pivot that's required or is it mostly minor tweaks and just a change in mindset for organizations? How, what do you see in terms of the, the effort that's required to make that transformation? Oh, it's a great question. You know, it, it, it really depends a bit on a couple of factors in the organization. Um, and this isn't something I've ever put down on paper, so we'll see if it, if it works. <laughs> um, you know, we believe very strongly that user-centric organizations, customer-centric organizations, uh, really benefit from, being, uh, from following a very clear vision around their customer experience. And that works well if you have a leader who believes similarly in the benefit of customer experience, it is not so easy if you're somebody in the trenches trying to improve the customer experience one notch at a time, because very frequently organizations are not set up to have those experiences be end to end. And in our research, you know, you actually create a, a, a more negative experience if you create moments of happiness <laughs> amongst moments of, of uh, disappointment. It's actually significantly better just to have, you know, a consistent experience rather than a partially good, partially bad one. And so I think it does help to have a clear understanding from the very top of what you're intending to do and why it matters. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of purpose-driven companies, you know, really resonating with the more authentic type uh, buyers that we always credit the millennials with being. Um, but I, I'm seeing more and more of it. 
I think we've recognized that the kind of changing customer behaviors that we're seeing right now are shifts greater than anything we've ever experienced before, that different parts of the journey matter in different ways, and that to have your ear to the ground and understanding your customer in an era in which you can actually sort of micro-segment and make personalized offers and things like that, it's no longer a fluffy nice to have. It's something we can prove the value of to the business, not just to the customer. And that's, in my mind, the real breakthrough uh, that, we're, that we're seeing now and that hopefully will be a real opportunity for travel to be, you know, hearkening back to the experiences of, of your, right, when it was an exciting thing to do, not just a, not just a challenging way to get to where you want to go. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating area and we could go on and on talking about this. I'm conscious of the time now, but just wrapping up um, and, and linked to maybe that those last comments, you know, the two other guests on this podcast this quarter are senior executives from Uber and Hilton Hotels. Maybe linked to some of the things that you just said, but what advice, you know, for want of a better word, would you offer um, Matt and, and Steve from, from these companies? Oh, well, I think some of them probably do it quite well already. But I mean, I think, you know, my perspective is, is balancing, you know, the consumer need or the customer need with the business need is always a great opportunity to innovate. And that doesn't mean you have to spend all your cash uh, on big bets. It does mean the notion of, you know, putting your ear to the ground, testing and learning and spending more time thinking about, um, you know, where we can get inspired, whether it's in our own industries or by the, you know, best in class performers outside of our industries who solve similar needs. Um, Probably never before have we been able to sort of really, um, uh, get creative and quote unquote steal from other industries. And, and I would just say, you know, the chance to change right now is, is a big opportunity. And I think uh, there's a shock to loyalty going on, obviously, uh, because of what's happening right now. And uh, to seize the day, to think about what your consumers need and to potentially, you know, innovate around different areas of customer experience is a great opportunity to just sort of start to come out ahead. The last piece I'll say is, um, We've, done, we've seen, I think, reports, Forrester, I believe, has published on this, that companies that invest in customer experience during the downturn of 2008 came out 3x uh, stronger than their peers. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you, whether you think customer experience is a nice to have or have to have, I think the proof is in the pudding now that the numbers are starting to be a bit more clear about the value of investing in, in experience. Yeah, that's great. Melissa, thanks so much for your time and the podcast. And just a very quick final question. One word to describe 2020 so far. Whew, a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much, Melissa. Ah, thanks so much.